Welcome to What Is It About the Weather, a podcast where we explore the many ways that weather intertwines itself into our lives. I'm your host, Mark Jelinek. This week, the long arm of the law. Yes, we're going to discuss weather and the law. We'll get to that. I promise we'll get to that. I, I am going to interrupt this regular program with an actual talk about weather. Well, I always talk a little bit about weather, right? My kind of week, for sure. Week started off with Monday, got on the order of probably, I don't know, foot and a half of snow, more or less. Good quantity. Healthy quantity, anyways. It was nice. It certainly was a distraction for me. And yes, an interruption for me. I but you know, I couldn't pass that up. Went out and took a walk in the snow. Had a new pair of uh Hiking shoes I got not too long ago, more for hiking, actually kind of in these sort of conditions, but more like muddy, wet sort of conditions. So I went out and tested them, stood in the snow, put them in the snow. They seem pretty waterproof. My slippers, on the other hand, not so much. I, I think I posted something on Instagram comparing the two. Slippers got full of snow when I was out trying to do a measurement just to see how much snow we had gotten. But also took advantage of it, went and did a hike probably could use some snowshoes. It's the first time that I've, well, I shouldn't say ever, but probably in, wow, 15 years that I've been out in really deep snow doing doing a hike. Most of the time, you know, either other people have walked on it. And I've, I've talked about that. I've done some hikes recently. It's perfect weather to be out in, but enough people had pushed down on the snow that it was, you know, it might need something to grip to the snow, but but getting pushed into it. You know, it wasn't a problem. Yesterday, that, that was a problem, and it got pretty deep. I had to do a couple turnarounds where we were out doing it. And I, I probably could have gone a little farther, but when you're hiking with somebody who's got who's counting on you to make the footprints and make them just right, and your gait's not the same, well, it can make it a bit tricky. And, and, we're getting ready to get some more. I'm supposed to give out another half foot or so. A couple more storms possibly this week. Now, for a lot of people, they'll probably say, it's eh, enough snow. And I will say that it can make getting around tricky. There's no doubt about it, even in places that are used to plowing the snow and that sort of thing. But that said, I, I don't grow tired of it. I'm very thankful for it. So I'll take it this winter. This winter's felt like a real winter. Hasn't been too cold. We are supposed to be a little colder this week, but not unseasonably cold. But the snow is just kind of a reminder. And 18 inches of snow doesn't just melt instantaneously and and where I was doing the hike they probably had in excess of a couple of feet so you know it doesn't go away even with a couple sunny days it's been a little cloudy this week so it's taken a while to break down but I'm not going to spend all day talking about the snow because that probably would bore you guys to death I enjoy it I can enjoy it on my own time I even thought about doing a live podcast with snow in the background but it wasn't quite so we're getting a few flurries now but it's not kicking in so Let's wrap up my snowy talk and get on to the topic of the day. And it's one that I thought about a long time ago. And I was like, Ugh, I don't know. don't know if I really want to do it. But found myself doing a lot of reading this week. Now, most of it was academic articles. And anybody who's ever tried to read one, for those of us who even read them on a regular basis... They can get a little long in the tooth, if you will. And it's tricky because most academic papers have a purpose. I mean, they've they've got to reasonably reflect 
everything that's going on. Now, that's why you write an abstract, and that's why you have a conclusion section a lot of times. But you have to really put in the details, right, about maybe what the data was that you used, how you went about testing your hypothesis, what the findings were, even if the findings, you know, if a lot of it's boring, you know, if if it's critical to the overall arching thing, it's got to be there. And I, I still remember, I think one of the few things that I've held on to from my graduate school days was my diary from when I was doing the research for my thesis. And the mind-numbing, and, and the same thing even on files on my computer, just the mind-numbing quantity of stuff that I have that no one would ever see. My, my thesis is boring enough, right? But if you think about all the additional stuff, you ought to be thankful as somebody who's got to read these things that you don't have to go through more often. But that's why I don't usually post academic articles for you guys. Every now and then I find some that the topic is kind of diverse enough or there's enough going on in the context of the article that I won't feel that you'll get you know overly bored or I think the additional information is useful. But that's why most people stick with the abstract. And that's why a lot of times even, you know, with this sort of stuff, you get at universities, there's people that specialize in helping more or less write a uh, press briefing or, you know, a little PR news feed on stuff to help try to bridge that gap between the research and the rest of us. So that was one thing I was reading that was kind of, you know, again, you got to take I even have to take breaks. I can do an article, then I got to do something else. I just, some people, I guess, can sit there and read them all day. That's that's not my thing. But there's another type of document, right? Where am I going with this, right? So there's another type of document that does the same thing, I think, to most of us. And it's a document that a lot of times you'll see hereunto's and henceforth and whereas. And yes, we're talking about legal documents. So I was looking at a couple legal documents this week. And I was somebody asked me, it's like, why are all these words in here? Right? What, what's the point? Now, some of them are old words that have just been around a long time. But some of them are words that have a very specific meaning that maybe aren't commonly used in everyday language. Now, I'm speaking in context of U.S. law, of course, but I'm guessing it's somewhat similar in, in most countries around the world that the idea is a legal contract, a contract of any type, a legal document of some type that's supposed to set for something that's governed by laws is best suited for all parties involved when there's no ambiguity, when it's clear what's defined. Now, that's not always possible. And some might argue the best legal contracts are the ones that do none of that, that give you a lot of wiggle room. So that's the alternative approach. But generally speaking, what you want is you, you want it to be clear what the purpose of the, of the legal document is, whether it's a contract, whether it's a law, whatever it might be. The idea is that that verbiage should spell out very specific situations, criteria, you know, under what purpose would this even be used? I mean, you know, that's the thing. People often talk about, well, what's the point of having this kind of contract? Well, usually it's for worst case. So in worst case, you want things well-defined. Now, because that was on my mind and with all this snow going on, I started thinking, you know, what what is 
what's the, some of the legal stuff around this, right? You know, what, as I'm watching people try to dig their cars out or I'm watching snow plows dump more snow on top of cars, wh- where are the borders? Who's liable for you know damages in any situations or neglect, you know, if, if a sidewalk's not shoveled in time, what, what are the rules? And I had looked at this not too long ago because in my area, there are certain guidelines about who's responsible for snow removal in front of a house, let's say or who handles the streets or driveway. And there was even an incredible case, and I, I don't know all the details yet, apparently people were shot over this snowstorm that came through my area and killed over a dispute about cl- just clearing snow. So weather law really was on you know, a couple places this week. Traditionally, where most of us have probably thought about weather in the law is you see it a lot of times in things like insurance policies, where acts of God is is how it's often written, may or may not be covered, right? So if your car gets damaged by hail or some other sort of severe weather, is it covered, right? And so it's something that's worth knowing, right? where the guidelines, where the limitations as to what's going on in your situation. But that's one where I think everybody who is in a situation where they've got some sort of insurance on physical property, right? That's the best way to think about it. It's a good thing to check, just to know. And that's usually one of the phrases that's often used. And there, to me, that's a, not a clear phrase, right? Acts of God is, it's kind of a catch-all. But it's commonly referred to in the sense of things of the natural world, if you will. So I went and started Google it a little bit. And probably the first thing and the most common thing here in the U.S., there's a law that was written, I think, in the 40s. And I don't know, I didn't dig into why it was written that specific period of time. I can imagine the context that was going on. But it it was about false representations. And this specifically has to do with impersonating an official government agency who is responsible, like the National Weather Service, for issuing forecast and passing it off as if you're part of that organization. And again, I can imagine what was going on or what may have driven that, but I don't know the details behind, you know, what were the specific cases that drove that law to be, I mean, you know, again, there's a lot of laws that never get passed, but this this specific law that got passed and it was okay. Sharpie gate. I'm sure most of you remember with the whole hurricane and, you know, the White House having a, a graphic with a little extra blip drawn on it. And I'm not going to dwell on that, but I never really thought at the time. I, I kind of wrote it off. I knew what, what was going on, and you know, I kind of just shrugged my head and moved along. But realistically, that was a violation of the law because it more or less states that nobody can essentially be act to be, for instance, a member of the National Weather Service or issue forecast that are not from the official agency. And this really applies, I mean, the focus of the law is as much on people within the government doing that sort of thing. So it's kind of an interesting case. So there's always been a lot of talk about that. And it kind of dominated the Google feed because there was that big recent case, high profile case. And so there were a lot of articles written about it and why it was a violation of the law. And again, not something I'm going to link to in the show notes, but you can, you can Google that and kind of figure it out. So I started digging a little more, and I was hoping for a little more detail, a little more of where weather is really written in the law. There wasn't a lot. Then I I stumbled across 
a book. And I should probably give you the official title, and maybe I'll do that while while we're sitting here recording. But it was a book called When Nature Strikes, Weather Disasters in the Law. Now, the funny thing is, When Nature Strikes is a headline that's been used by a few people, not just this book. But it was written by somebody called Marsha Baum. And I think she's at the University of New Mexico. I may be misremembering that. And I'm not sure she was there at the time or or what the situation is, but this is somebody who took some time to put together a variety of details about weather and law. And this could have been a thesis related project for all I know, but it broke down into a lot of sections as to when it's relevant, when it's not. Okay. And of course she also started talking about the context of this false representations. Cause that's kind of one of the big things, but a lot of the detail focused around the idea of giving forecast and are you responsible for those forecast and, and not just like a weather forecast, but maybe even protecting citizens, right? So what happens when there's a tornado warning? And if the if somebody doesn't get a tornado warning, is someone else at fault, right? And it, and it went through all the details and it talked a little bit about how Government agencies in general and in the employees that work for the government have some protections such that they can feel safe that as long as they've done a best effort, that no one can really come after them. And that's actually even true of broadcast meteorologists. Because think about it this way. If a broadcast meteorologist went on the, on the air and tried to share weather forecast or even time-sensitive things, like there's a tornado warning or those sort of things, would they be in trouble if you were in harm you were harmed because of something they either did or didn't do in their process and if they had to worry about being litigated all the time well they would never issue a forecast and the other idea here is this is again it's not bound by a contract this is a prediction right and it's understood to be a prediction and it's not precise it's a future event and we can't always know what's going to happen and so as long as someone didn't intentionally put you in harm's way or intentionally do something bad or, or there wasn't some sort of negligence in the process, more or less, if those criteria are met, you can't really just go and sue those people. They're not going to be held responsible. And this has been litigated many times in the courts. And, you know, there are things where the whole idea is to say, was someone negligent in what they did? Did, for instance, could, and this is not an example, but I can imagine this. Did a local television station put somebody on giving forecast and claiming that you could count on it? And, you know, if any harm, nothing's going to bad, it's going to happen to you or whatever else. And something bad happened. And the person doing it had no knowledge of, weather or what what they were talking about in theory i'm guessing that station could be sued and be found guilty but uh, you know whether you're going to go and try to do that lawsuit and get a lawyer involved and everything else it's unlikely so it'd really have to be just a, a case where someone was ignoring the evidence or you know maybe willingly uh not maintaining a tornado warning system or something like that. But by and large, as long as best efforts made, and it's kind of hard to prove that it isn't, that's not where you're going to see a lot of cases brought forth and won by someone taking it into the courts. 
Where that does change, and this is the interesting part, where it changes is the idea if there's a contract. Okay. Now, if I'm a private weather company and I'm providing weather forecasting services for, let's just say anything. Let's say it's something maybe you don't think about, but we've talked about it before, shipping. So let's say your boats are going across the ocean and it's my responsibility to give you weather forecast for hurricanes right? Tropical cyclones. If I don't pay attention to what's in that contract, there's a real possibility that I could be held liable for a bad forecast. So that's why you will see when private companies enter into these forecasting agreements, they put disclaimers and things that protect them, including covering carrying liability insurance, but things that protect them if a forecast is not good. And part of that is laying out the guidelines that it is indeed a forecast and that things you know, don't always go exactly according to forecast. And this is information to help in the decision-making process. It is not a definitive guide on what to do X, Y, or Z. Again, why do you have the contract? So nobody can see you. Because one of the things that was interesting about the law is when, when a someone's giving a forecast, they're usually not giving it to you as an individual. They're giving it to a group of people or an area. When I'm issuing a a forecast to a private company, I am giving it to that company and I may be giving it to that company exclusively. The law changes there. And when you start having a one-to-one relationship, you can be more often held liable for what you say. This isn't just true in weather. This is other things, whether it's financial advice, other things. So, you want to make sure you're protected. So you actually want to have a contract, but the flip side of the contract is then there's something binding you. So you got to be, you know, again, it kind of is a feeding loop, right? Where if you've got to make the step of doing A, you then want to have B, but then you want to make sure that C is within B to protect you from A and so on and so on. Again, end of day, most of it gets down to negligence. And this can be even governments, right? Governments can be sued. And this is what I was talking about with clearing of the snow. If someone gets injured and a reasonable effort has not been made to clear that snow in an appropriate period of time, and that's what the cases have litigated over time, that at some point you're going to be responsible. Now, it may not be as the snow falls, Right, but that's why they have guidelines that say within this period of time you got to do that. And, and if you wonder why, this is the it, same with most law, right? If you wonder why that sort of thing was ever written, it's because somebody got sued at some point in time, and that's why it was created. Or in a neighboring town, someone got sued, and so this other town said, "Oh, we better put this on the book so it doesn't come up." So in this book, and, and that's the thing, this book may not be a read for everybody. It's about 150 pages on just these cases, right? And the funny thing I found is I often wonder, you know, with a book like this, do authors get a page count? Because there were two things in the end, but one of them was particularly funny. There were 40 pages of weather terms of this book. Cracked me up. It was like a whole weather encyclopedia in the back of this book. And it's like, well, that added 40 pages of page count. Maybe that was part of her contract as the thing had to be 200 pages or something. I don't know, but it, it did make me laugh a little bit. But I guess the real question that I wanted to get down to is, we talk about why someone might sue the weather. Is is weather ever, can it be your excuse? Can it be your reason? Excuse is a wrong word. Can it be a reason, a justifiable reason for taking an action, right? Can you ever use it in a case of defense, right? The weather made me do it, right? It's like uh, 
you know, the old say, it, the whatever made me do it, right? So the weather made me do it. Is there ever a reason or cause that you can use that defense? And the answer actually is yes. But it goes with the other things. And there were cases of both for and against. And a lot of them had to do with, for instance, driving accidents. And if weather conditions are really bad, and if you were caught off guard by that, like it wasn't well known and there wasn't broad forecasts that say, you know, and flashing signs that say winter storm, don't get off the roads or things like that, or it hadn't been all over the news or whatever it is. And the weather conditions cause you to do something that wouldn't happen under normal circumstances and you're being relatively safe, there's a good chance you won't be found guilty. But at the same time, if you're flying down the road and it's a big snowy icy mess out there and you get caught off guard because you're stupid and you shouldn't have been out there to begin with, it won't work, right? And and apparently the cases have been pretty well heard and there are guidelines between what really constitutes being caught off guard or made you do it. The other thing that I found was interesting, and I've often wondered this, is if you were in a situation where weather is driving you to behave in a way that it's a life or death search situation, generally speaking, you can use weather as a defense. And you often hear about these things like with tropical cyclones and looting and things like that. Now, I don't want to get in the guidelines, and I know every country is different, every locality is different. Here in, in the U.S., every state is different. So I'm speaking very generally here. See how I'm covering myself. But what the case has found is that if a hurricane came through and you got caught with food that you stole out of a store, and you can show that you were you couldn't get to your home and you needed it for survival, more often than not, you're going to be found not guilty. Every law is a little different, and this is the tricky thing. And that's why I would tell you that if you live in a coastal area and you think it ever might happen, it might be a good thing to know. What is the law for the area that you're in? whether it's a local state or, or a federal law and, and whatever else it is. But the mindset's pretty straightforward. You're out doing a hike and an uns, you know, unforeseen storm comes about. And you break into somebody's cabin in the woods because it's the only way you're going to survive the blizzard. You're not going to be found guilty, right? But I think more often than not, right, it, it's one of those things that I don't think people would bring cases like that very often unless they pushed it too far. So you're in, you broke into this house. It's a very nice house. Maybe it belongs to a you know very wealthy person, and you broke in, and you're sitting there in the jacuzzi, and you ate every piece of food in the house and consumed the 500-year-old bottle of wine. Well, you may not have as much of a case there, right? So there's going to be still a, a burden of proof on your end that you did it for good cause. But just know that weather can be a defense. It can be used against you, right? So if you're negligent, you know, it's it's interesting. What I found is about what you would expect. I don't know. I, I was curious if weather could be used as a defense. It wasn't something I was aware of, and, and quite often it has been, and it's reasonable. But just know that just because right? Weather can be used as a defense or it can be used as a reason for a lawsuit. It's the same as so many other things in life. It's not that, that different. It's about 
how negligent you are and how far beyond the realm of what would be reasonable that you've gone, I guess is the best way I know to describe it. In any case, there you have it. Weather and the law. Uh, again, I'll put a link in the show notes. I, I was able to scan through a copy of the book. I put a link into like the Google books where, that has a preview. It, it was It's a fairly quick read. I mean, if it's a topic that interests you, you can pick it up. Uh, I think there were e-versions. I didn't have one handy in my kind of local login library, but some libraries might have it. It's probably not the bestseller in the world. I doubt you want to buy the hardback version, which is out of print and it costs $40 or whatever, but you know, your local library might have a copy or something like that. Check it out. Uh, like you, you may find that, oh, I don't want to, that, that that's enough weather in the law for me. I hope it, I hope it covers that need for most of you and that, that we've hit it there. Any case, I was also prompted to this this week by seeing some, and I don't know why they ended up in a YouTube feed that I was watching because it's not one, it's not an account that usually I have weather-related stuff in, but I was watching people go on and how many views they get from just throwing up radar images and stuff like that and just talking about the weather as if they're a weather forecaster. And I know they have, one of them was, one of them was somebody I know that had some, you know, some actual training. The other person just something babbling along. And I'm curious, I I haven't looked at at the beginning and end of his feed enough to know if he's putting some sort of disclaimer, the other person, but that this is entertainment value only. And you'll see that a lot of times. I'll be curious to know, you know, at some point, you could. I mean, I'd have to really listen to this forecast. If you went out and you made a decision based on that because he told you to do it, that's the problem with, with things like that is if you don't put the disclaimers, and that's a lot of times why we do disclaimers, right, is you don't want people to act in a way that someone could bring a lawsuit. And, you know, it's it's a risky thing if you're, no matter what you're talking about, if someone does something that you know, you think you nobody in their right mind would do it, but that's exactly why the law exists, right? Is because we don't hit all those things. Now you may be asking, why in the world are you talking about YouTube so much? Actually, I was in there this week. I put a from the first storm. I put uh, a little short video of me walking through the snow. I, I haven't done a weather short in a while because you know sometimes it's, there's just not the right context for new content. So I threw that up there if you're interested. YouTube, YouTube channel. They, they changed that. I think it's youtube.com slash C slash. And I have, what is it about the weather? I'll put the link in the show notes, but if you're interested in that sort of thing, you can go check that out there. And as always, you know where to find me. What is it about the weather at gmail.com. What is it about the weather on Twitter? Or you can find me Mark underscore Gelotic on Twitter as well. Or if you're at all interested, if you want to maybe support the podcast, that's always welcome. It's at patreon.com slash weather. Now, before I leave you with all the snow, and actually it has finally started the snow here again, so we it did capture it a little bit. You're not going to see it. I'll, may, I'll post a picture from this snow. I wish there was a way to do it video-wise, but it doesn't exactly work that way. Put it up there. Hope you enjoy it. But can you imagine getting 12 inches of snow in an hour? 12 inches of snow, Right. That's apparently the record here in the U.S. It's, I'm sure it's around that. That's a, a foot of snow in an hour. I, it just I came across that this week when someone someone posted some sort of records here, and I was wondering what the records were kind of around the world and more broadly than the vicinity I'm in. But as the snow falls outside and as I'm going to listen to people start to shovel to keep themselves from someone suing them, 
Just remember, there's much more weather than the weather itself.